0: It's not just AI giving you the answer, it's trying to figure out the answer with external data, mashing it together with the context understanding of the AI, and then you get a service that is more predictable, you know the source of the information, it's not as black box.
1: Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Well, hello everyone. I'm really happy to have Christian Focace with me today. Christian and I go way back. Actually, met when Christian was at Steel before its acquisition by Diligent. And what's interesting is Christian is really a leader in data information and just started a new company that's really exciting. Diligent AI is the service that they provide. And I'm really uh, interested to hear his views today and hear what he's up to, but Christian, welcome and thanks for taking time to, you know, visit with us today about sort of what I would call the new AI hot topic. But it's great to see you again. You too. So, Christian, you have this new company Diligent AI, but before we get to that, you were listening to our last podcast which we did years ago and you said that believe it or not, we actually discussed something that happened you know, you made a prediction or we discussed what the trends were going to be. Tell us about our moment of brilliance together.
0: Yeah, so I listened to our first podcast just to make sure that I wasn't going to say too much of the same boring stuff. And And, uh, about five minutes left, you asked, what do we think for the next five years of AI? My prediction was things are moving really fast, you have to pay attention, it's always changing. And then I said about a week ago, there was even a new language model came out called GPT three. It's exciting, and it summarizes text, and it works by predicting the next token and, and sentences. And I gave a fairly good description of it at the time because I, you know, I was only a week out. And sure enough, not five years later, but three years later, we're here and AI. Right? It was, it was popular then, and now
1: it's just blown up. Wow. With GPT, unbelievable. But let's take a step back because it's every. And I've written about this as well. Compliance, everything you read nowadays, it's talking about AI risks, generative AI, language, you know. And I'm really glad to have you on because I feel like there's this almost sense of raising risks that may not be present and that people are overreacting. And I think what we're losing is what is actually the business purpose or how these new tools and technology can be used in a way that is gonna make us all much more productive and more successful. And I also, my other just soapbox on this is that it really depends upon how you're using the new technology. If it's a part of a product that you sell, which is, okay, I value homes like Zillow did and got in trouble with, and I use this technology to do that, but that's my service, that's what I provide. But if I use it in a process for my business that results in a different widget, that I'm selling something different, that's a different risk that we have. That's what my point is, is that we can't just overreact to these headlines without understanding what's the business use, what's the risk for your business, and what are the upsides and the potential downsides. But take us sort of where you see the industry right now, and we'll get to your company and the exciting stuff you're doing, but where do you see all of this? And it, it's almost like you have to have a cup of coffee to stay up with all this stuff.
0: Like I said, three years ago, it moves really fast and it's, it's moving even faster now. But you're, you hit the nail on the head, right? The way to think about AI and all of these things and technology as a whole is they're tools. They shouldn't be as polarizing as they actually are. Right? Nobody is oh, mad at different tools and different trades, they kind of just understand them. I think maybe the reason for that in our world is they're tougher to understand or it's people don't understand the technology. So there's like a natural fear of certain things, but it's a tool that we can use and leverage. And the real challenge is understanding how to do that. What are its strengths? its weaknesses? What business problems can we actually enhance with that? And then once you do that, it's not scary at all. But you do see this kind of reaction on both ways. You, and it's not healthy, right? One way is like, this is generative AI is, you know, going to replace everyone's job in the world and it's going to take over the right. world. And then the ne- other side is, well, I used ChatGPT once and it said something stupid so it has no value at all. And it's like, the truth lies in the middle, like everything else, right? right. So right. it's really funny because I'm like, I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm like always a middle-of-the-road person, right? I try to figure out where the truth actually lies. And it really does lie in in the middle of these things. Where we're seeing it and it's so early and it's early for a lot of different reasons. The technology is relatively new, right? It's come out within the last few years and it's grown more impressive in the last year or two. Companies have taken a while to adopt things. And that's just the nature of organizations, right? They have products, they have existing processes and things like that. So we're not even really scratching the surface of how this is going to be integrated into workflows, right? We're just seeing some light usage. Can we integrate a company who has an open AI's API or another company who has that? And can we add some features? But we will see this ingrained much more deeply in, in products and services, to the point where you don't even know it exists, right? No one is going to say, this uses AI. It's just going to be a thing that we all expect it to do certain things. And that's when it really has gained
1: adoption. I think you're right, the expectation is gonna be the capabilities that it provides on a routine basis. We're not gonna be talking about it, but we will have an expectation to say that, let's say the ability of AI to search through, organize, analyze, and provide a summary of information that it goes through, okay? I mean, like in a due diligence type context. We're going to get used to that being done on a rapid basis and that we'll get a level of accuracy from that that may ultimately take the place of man hours that would be done otherwise, man or woman hours that would be applied to that task. And we're going to get so used to the efficiency of it that we're not going to be questioning it. We're going to be saying, this is the expectation now. This is what technology has provided to us.
0: Exactly. And then like a consumer perspective that we all can relate to, which that actually happens is if you think of Google, right? We all go to Google and we type anything into that search box and we expect Google to give us the right answer, right? Like you, I can't even spell anymore. I spell you website's wrong. I <laughs> just type random characters, just, you know, backing right. the things. And Google for the most part does a really good job. Like the word I spelled was wrong. It wasn't what I was looking for, but it predicted what I want to a high degree to the point where we're mad at Google if it doesn't do that. But if we think what we're actually asking this computer to do, we're not giving it a precise word and phrase and Boolean logic. We're just giving it random words that are misspelled. And it's using AI to figure out what we're looking for, right? So that's like the expectation people have when you use Google, you expect it to give you the right thing. But if anyone actually looked at what they're typing to the search box, you could give that to 10 other people.
1: And probably 9 out of 10 of them would
0: not know what the heck you were typing or even looking for. Or
1: what you were doing, right? Yeah. Help us and help our listeners with the, just to get a basic understanding, you use the term generative, there's language-based and there's, what I, you know, some of the terminology that's going around it. Can you just give us a brief, you know, AI 101 in terms of generative and what that means and language-based and all of that? Because we see these terms being bandied about and sometimes I have to go back and research it a little bit more. Sure. And there's like Venn diagrams of like where all these things fit, right? There's all machine learning and things
0: like that. And all of this modern chat GPT, they're large language models. So essentially what they are is models train, not large language sets, right? Lots of, lots of information, primarily it's from the internet books and things like that. So human language are being trained when it's over hundred billion parameters, like the things that make up these models, it's usually a large language model. But generative by and how these models work, they're almost like prediction algorithms in the sense that they work token by token and word by word so if you have a sentence and you say the dog went to the next word is probably going to be the right figures out a probability for the next word and then how the generative of ai works it generates new words based on the previous set of phrase that it types uh-huh. right and the crazy thing about this is when you have data sets that are trained when you train on large enough data sets you get emergent behavior where it almost starts to understand context and it starts to format things more than the, the sum of its parts, right? If you think of that, you're like, well, that's kind of cool and a little interesting. But sure enough, when you have these very, very large language models, what it outputs is actually coherent text that makes sense. And you could have it summarize things. You could have to do different things. But essentially that's how it's working. It's working word by word, and then looking at the previous sentence. In the turning and the probability of the next word based on every single piece of information that it's ever seen so sometimes they have the condition where they hallucinate people call it right they make up information and that's just a term for it they don't actually hallucinate because they don't know anything language models know nothing they almost get facts right as a byproduct that they've seen everything right if you ask a chat or any of the google bar or any of those how tall is the eiffel tower it's going to give you the right bit of information because that's on the internet a billion times, right? The height Eiffel Tower is probably never encyclopedias in Wikipedia. So just by the fact that it's seen that, that's the most probable answer. But if it's something it's never seen, it'll give you a completely nonsense answer. There's nothing stopping it from giving you any bit of information that makes probabilistic sense based on what it's knows from human language, right? And it's not just English, it's its own different languages trained on. So the crazy thing is we can take that then and then combine it with different techniques to make it more reliable right so that's cool in itself because you can have it give you ideas and write essays and you know blog posts and things like that right and you don't need to be that factual and it's pretty good but what you could actually do is then you could take the ai and then give it context you could give it data from different structured data sets and unstructured data sets and then what you're doing is you're not having the generative ai actually give you the answer you're presenting it possible answers, and then you're having it summarize it or give context. And that's where we're seeing it most useful and have the most power in our world to comply to different things. And that's called retrieval automated generation, right? It's a really like nerdy in depth term, but that's the underlying tech of how things are actually done. It's not just AI giving you the answer, it's trying to figure out the answer with external data mashing it together with the context understanding of the AI, and then you get a service that is more predictable, you
1: know the source of the information, it's not as black box. So the immediate application, and this sort of goes to what your current activities are and your current business. But when I look at compliance programs and I look at trying to know information about our business and who we interact with and what people are do- and who these people are and we have due diligence we have monitoring we have data analytics all of this type of things how does this technology play into all those processes within a company and we also hear you know holistic risk now companies have to know about everything that, that is going on outside of them and how do we bring all that in what are the potential to me of what you're talking about if captured in the right way could be unbelievable in terms of the ability to track what you're doing with the outside world it's not a new problem but the problem
0: we've been facing is the amount of information that we have to summarize and make decisions on. right that is the number one problem that we've seen in the last the internet age right there is an endless There's amount of too information. too much
1: information. Too That's, much, right? It used to be we couldn't get the information. Yeah. Now, it's, we have too much information. And There's how do you inventory. go
0: through that? Historically, we then solved that problem by having curated sets of mm-hmm. information that we only paid attention to. And that was a, it wasn't a good solution, but it was a solution, right? We can't look at everyone, so we were to go to data providers. who said, here's this list of these curated high-profile people or derogatory users or things like that. Just look at these. Then we came up with some tools where you can kind of do more searching and bring in more information, but it still wasn't a good solution. So that's exactly the use case that that we're going after where we're saying there's all this information in the world. We are constrained by the amount of time we have. Time and money. That's the number one constraint, right? Right. Like, sure, we'd want to find everything. and, And even if not in finding everything, people could find more, but it costs money. And How much money do we have to dedicate to this problem? And that depends on the industry. Like if you're doing a bank doing KYC you have not very much. If you're a company, you're doing third-party risk due diligence, you have a little bit more, but maybe hundreds or thousands right. of dollars, right? And that still doesn't cover everything, but you have that bandwidth. So what this is able to do is twofold. One, expand the coverage that we're having because the computers are looking at more information for you. The computers are not making a decision on how do you interact with your third parties or your business decisions. It's presenting you data so you can make better decisions. And that's kind of the key differentiator, right? We don't want these to say, go out into the world, pull out all this information, summarize it, make a decision whether we're going to do business with this third party or kick out this customer from the bank. It's not that. Where we're at today is we're bringing all this information in. We're having a computer summarize it. So they're looking at significantly more than any individual could in a reasonable amount of time. And then we're presenting them with the smallest amount of Facts that then make a decision off of, right? And that's the best use case. And one is coverage, but the second bit is you can do it more frequently. So even if you're doing a due diligence report, which could be really in depth, you're going to do that once a year, once two years, every three years, depending right. on the squall. You don't have that constraint. So the benefit now is we can look at more, and we could do that more often, and let people do what they're really good at. Because you hear that a lot, like it's going to take everyone's jobs, and even. People are listening to this who are investigators and in due diligence. People are thinking like, this is terrifying, right? That's what I do every day. I look at Google results. I look at news results. It's not going to take your job. It's going to empower you to not be a robot, right? Because a lot of this is people are follow a procedure. They look at this, they check this box, and they do X, Y, Z over and over again. That's what robots do. That's what computers do. Your job can now be look at this set of information that's curated from thousands of sources distilled down to a page or two, make a decision off. Because that's the thing computers can't do today. And I don't believe that they're going to be able to do in the near future. If there is a news article about your customer or your third party, how do you know how bad it is? right? It was involved in bid rigging or it was involved in human trafficking, right? You could kind of roughly come up with those rules, but at a certain point, you know, how long ago was it? There's a million factors that compliance professionals will argue whether this customer is risky
1: enough. How much weight do you put on a specific factor? And you're saying that's not going to change. You're still going to need the decision-making and the thresholds. But what you are saying is imagine that you have all the information that's out there. Let's just say all the information and it's reviewed through intelligent eyes. In other words, so that the human function that would take a stack of a printout of every adverse media thing about such and such. And that would take that man or woman hours to go through a call through it and find the important parts or what would be important to them. And by eliminating that step and making it more efficient, now that person can be looking at the red flags, what kind of decision making, and advising people, let's say within the organization, okay, here's the analysis that I've applied with our thresholds and the weights that we applied to these various factors, and it makes them a more productive member of the team. That's what I think in the end. It's not somebody's job. I don't want that job. I don't want to be in that job. We don't want to have people doing that. If we can have a machine do it, then we can free people up to use more of their brain to do more important things.
0: That's exactly right. And because the scope is expanding, you end up with possibly even more work than you had before, right? Like there might right. be red flags that you were finding once a year, and then you would figure it out. But now you can get those as soon as they happen every day. There's things you might not have known, and now you know. And that's what we see. It's like a displacement of responsibilities, but the net amount of work it expands generally. And that's historically what I've seen with most technology, right? I'm sure there's a exceptions, but for the most part, every time there's this really transformative piece of technology, things don't get less, they get more. There's less blacksmiths than there were a hundred years ago, right? But I would guarantee the car industry is significantly larger than the horse absolutely, was
1: absolutely. years ago. Right. That's what I see sort of coming as a result of this technology sort of explosion that everybody's talking about. I think it's gonna set up people for better decision-making with more information. And frankly, there are a lot of decisions that are made at the board level, at senior executive level, at middle management level and lower management level that can benefit from having more information and and more information in a more digestible, efficient way that's presented. So that to me seems like the huge upside. But I have to ask you, Tell us a little bit more about what your product is doing, Diligent AI, and Threat Digital, and it's taking off. And that's how we reconnected was I saw it's taking off, and I was really excited to see you associated with this new venture. So tell us what's going on with that.
0: Yeah, it has been very exciting. The the early stages of companies are always kind of the most energizing of working on products and things like that. So. Now, spent my whole professional career, I started working for large banks doing investigations and due diligence and then running my last company, which is a data company, was figuring out ways to identify risk, right? At the end of the day, I want to identify from information that's available risk in third parties, counterparties, customers of its financial institutions, or things like that. And that's still a focus. We're still using machine learning. The difference now. Is the large language model transformer architecture that everyone is hot about, right? ChatGPT and all these kinds of things. It's tough to appreciate how much better it is than this old generation of AI machine learning unless you are really involved in the world, right? You see the hype and things like that, but we're able to do things we were never able to do before. And the easiest way to put it is that previously the models had to be so specific to a job that you're going to do. Right, if I wanted to have a computer make a decision, it can do this one thing that I trained it to do, right? I can look at a news article and tell me if it's relevant to money laundering or not, and it was okay with that. But that's the only thing it could do, very narrowly focused. Now they're much more general than models and they have much more capability with understanding context throughout unstructured text. And that's what they're the best at. They're language models, they're focused on human text. So when you see like AI and everything, if it's not really involving unstructured text analysis, you probably are just using AI as like the hype around it. This is where their sweet spot is. So what we're doing in a nutshell is we have large language models trained for specific types of risk categories. And that could be media, political exposure, state-owned enterprises, military and use, ESG, corporate social responsibility issues. So things map to either specific regulations or specific risk areas, and then You can take a company, you can take an individual, you can then enter it into our search tool either through a programming interface, an API, or the UI. And we go out into the world, we aggregate all this information, and then we distill it down to say, this is the company you searched. These are the red flags that we found. This is cited back to the source we found it, right? So we use AI in it, but there's no black box to know. Why didn't the computer pick this or that? It says this person or this company did X, Y, Z. Here's the source of that information and why it's relevant, right? And that's really important for working with AI in a regulated capacity. You can have it making decisions and do things you don't understand, right?
1: Or unsighted sources. or
0: Because it hallucinates, yeah. right? It's a real yeah. problem where it will make up links, right? There's even the case not that long ago where the attorney submitted right. a brief right. and it was cited URLs that were not real, right? right. Source sources. So everything in this is citable to a specific source that's an actual document in the world and it's real time right that's the other problem with language models if you don't supplement it with external information language models are static they're trained to a certain point in time so the newest ones on the market are like 20 23 but that's still you know year old so it's real time you can cite it the reception has been incredible and less about the ai bit it's completely a large language model product but nobody cares about that because my customers are compliance officers or investigators. Right. They care about the problem it solves. So it's good for me because like we have these podcasts and people want to hear about the AI. But at the end of the day, it's a very traditional solving their problem. And it just so happens to be have a language model and AI at its core.
1: Yeah. But now I can see it going to the investigators, the corporate compliance, anything due diligence, business intelligence. You know, you're trying to find out about, you know, a bunch of companies or whatever and for your market, for your marketing plan or your competition plan, I want to know everything I can find out about my competitors. You could do that. But then I see this as sort of growing into this model and this platform or this foundation growing into being more efficient than, you know, other functions that go along with third party risk management. That's what I'm saying. In other words, for example, monitoring. What happens on monitoring? Monitoring now, you know, a name comes up and you get a notice, okay? And you don't know that it's really that relevant to you or not, but it comes up as a monitoring notice. Now, what you're saying is you may be able to find new information. It may be constantly searching this information or periodically searching it. And giving you a more refined set of parameters or information about that adverse notice so that you know yeah. more about it. Knee jerk reaction, you know what I'm saying?
0: Exactly. So, even getting into the weeds of how this could actually work and how it does work today, between now and what we would do years ago in machine learning. So, in the monitoring case, let's say we're talking about well, we want to monitor news of something. We're using negative words and we're using some machine learning, but essentially there's statistic models to say, oh, it has this word, has this way, give it this. So if it says Christian Boccaccio was arrested, you know, Christian Boccaccio works in the money laundering field. That says money laundering. It says my name. It would typically generate an alert. The difference now is the models are smart enough to look at that and say, it mentions Christian Boccaccio, but I'm instructed and trained to only report if there's a specific definition which we come up with, whether this person or company was arrested, evicted, accused, or charged right. exactly. with activity. And that's exactly how it works. So we come up with these instructions and train these models and they have like a script. So now it looks at every alert like a person would and says, this is not relevant because they didn't commit these acts. This is irrelevant because they did commit these acts or XYZ. And that's the big big difference, right? You're not only just saying, give me a score and, you know, is it true or not true? You're saying, here's this instructions of how you should be interacting with the world, right? You have some model of the world of language, look at this result. And now based on these instructions, tell me if it's good or not and why. And then it could go through all the alerts and do that. And it immediately cuts down on false positives. Exactly. That's actually happening today.
1: See, now that to me is really, because I always hear false positives, we're inundated with false positives. And what you're saying is this technology is going to eliminate or minimize that problem. That's what it's going to do.
0: Yes. It's incredible how well it does it. It's almost like scary. And like I said, I wasn't necessarily trying to like go after this problem, right? Because I've been thinking about it for a while, but I built solutions that solved it, but I just started using it and building proof of concepts and getting more into it. And then I was like, this is cr- incredible. This is finding things that I wouldn't find or it's multilingual, right? Which is the other thing. So it can read your article in Russian, it can read an article wow. in Chinese, it can make these decisions. And then it could translate that back into English for you. So all these kind of holy grail things that people always wanted, but I was like, yeah, well, that's impossible. It's magic. We're actually doing it today. And it's neat to say the least, yeah. right? When you're actually yeah, using it pretty, uh, weekly, I'm surprised that's to I disagree. Like,
1: Yeah. Well, we got to close out here, but I have two questions. First is okay, I'm putting you on the spot again five years from now, or hopefully maybe shorter, three years from now, and we reconnect and we set up another podcast. What are we going to be talking about? Where are we going to be with all these issues?
0: Yeah, I think there's going to be new issues, but on the tech side, two things are happening. One, the context of what we can input into these models is getting larger. So what I mean by that is, well, like I said, we give these models instructions and we call them prompts, right? Or we can fine tune them and say, this is an instruction of how you should interact and what you should output. Those are limited by size today, right? You can only put 4,000 words or 10,000 words, depending on the model, right? But that set of external set of information is really important for how it operates and so in decisions we can make. So one thing we're going to see is these contact windows expand Significantly. So instead of like 4,000 words or 10,000 words, it could be like a million words, right? So in the future, we could basically stuff everything into them and say, here's an encyclopedia, right? They have encyclopedias, but here's like a set of information. Here's all the policies, procedures. Here's the information you need to make decisions off of. Only reference this, and they'll be able to process that. So that's one thing that we're going to see in the technical side. The other thing we're going to see is open source models. So again, again, kind of dirty, right? Most of the, the leading models today are controlled by corporations. Right. OpenAI, Anthropic, oh, here, right? There's a handful of large corporations. But companies are releasing open source models that anyone can run on their own computers and they're getting increasingly better. So we're going to see a race to commoditization with these models where you're not going to need to rely on a Microsoft or a large company. You're going to be able open to run an open source, source model on your own, own computer. And they're going to be a comparable quality to the largest wow.
1: companies in the world. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing. Open source on this.
0: And they're getting smaller to the degree where you can run them on devices. So right now, a lot of models, you need to make an external call to a service on the internet, and then it gives you the information back. But they're getting to the point, and they are to a degree, but they're going to get better, where you can run it on your phone. It doesn't need to connect. You can run on your own computer and the data never leaves your own computer. So we're going to see that as well.
1: Well, Christian, thank you so much for just a fascinating discussion. So if people want to get in touch with you, Diligent AI is the new sort of product that you guys are offering, but uh, people want to get in touch with you for help in this area or just even to see the Diligent AI product, which is amazing. How do they get in touch with you?
0: So LinkedIn well, I said it last time and I'll say it again. There's only one of me, Chris Moy and Chris, Apac in the <laughs> world. So I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. If you, you could email me directly, it's Chris at threat.digital, which is the company name, Threat Digital. And that's actually our domain name, Threat.digital.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Christian, all the best. You know, I think this is really exciting and really appreciate your time and your insights. Really just terrific. Thanks again. Thanks, Mike. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to VolkovLaw.com.